This is Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. It says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But the disciples kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And now from Genesis chapter 48. Starting in verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And now Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Wonderful to be with you this morning as we're continuing our study in the gospel of Mark. So Mark's gospel doesn't include a birth narrative. But within his narrative of Jesus' public ministry, we do discover Jesus' particular interest in children. Jesus performs miracles for children, and quite often, actually. In Mark 5, he raised Jairus' 12-year-old daughter from the dead. In Mark 7, he exercises an evil spirit from the Syrophoenician woman's young daughter. In Mark 9, he casts out a demon causing deafness and muteness from a man's young son. And later in Mark 9, Jesus welcomes and holds a little child to demonstrate for his disciples how to be great in God's kingdom. And he equates their receiving a little child into their care with receiving Jesus himself. In our text today, people bring little children to Jesus and he teaches that they are intended recipients of God's kingdom and 
that they are examples of entering it. He demonstrates this by hugging them, laying his hands on them, and blessing them. The word that Mark uses for children here and in other places in his gospel is the word pedion, which means very young child or infant. So arguably, the children that are being brought to him in this passage are nursing infants. These are very tiny children that Jesus is holding. And this text is particularly significant because it combines Jesus' teaching about little children and the kingdom of God and Jesus' ministry to children. And his, this teaching and ministry are occasioned by and in contrast to the disciples' rebuke of those bringing children to Jesus on their way to Jerusalem. So let's read our text again, but this time through I'm going to leave out verse 15. We'll come back to that later. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So in Mark's gospel, when Jesus touches someone or they touch him, it, it leads to healing. His is the, the royal healing touch of the Son of God. So it leads us to expect a miracle, but that's not exactly what Jesus does here. Instead, he hugs these children. He lays his hands on them and he blesses them. First century Judaism assigned a, a higher value to children than the Greco-Roman world. In the eyes of a Jewish citizen, all of life came from Yahweh, and so children were considered a, a prime blessing, a gift from God. And children also had a place in the religious life of Israel. They observed religious rites. They were taught the scriptures. They were trained in godliness. They were valued even as infants. Greeks and Romans were more pessimistic about children. They were seen as small, underdeveloped, vulnerable, ignorant, inconsistent, and irrational. The Roman philosopher Cicero even once wrote concerning children that they themselves cannot be praised, only their potential. So there was no desire in Greco-Roman culture to return in any sense to the state of childhood. The only optimism they held regarding children would have been who they could become one day. Children were only valuable if their, essentially if their return on investment was large. So it's curious why these Jewish disciples would rebuke these parents. Because as we've seen many times, Mark repeatedly reports crowds of people pursuing and gathering around Jesus, pressing in on him. Even in some, sense, in some places, pressing in on him so close that he has to get out on a boat and get out on the sea to have enough room to teach. And until now, the disciples haven't barred anyone from getting close to Jesus. So why the rebuke? What's going on? I think the, the, the view that the disciples are being merely dismissive or acting like pompous bouncers at an upscale club is just too flat of an explanation. I think we get some help from the context. Jesus concludes his, his Galilean ministry 
at the beginning of chapter 10. So let's look at that first. Chapter 10, verse 1 says this. He, Jesus, he left Capernaum and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. So Jesus leaves Galilee at the beginning of this chapter. And then in Mark 10, verse 32, we read this. And Jesus and his disciples were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. And it's right after this that John and James come to Jesus and request that they be granted to sit on Jesus' right and left when he establishes the kingdom. So in light of this context, in light of these verses, this is what I think is happening. In light of the rebuke, this is what I think is happening. When Jesus turns and, and heads towards Jerusalem, the disciples, I think, are filled with the expectation of an imminent kingdom a kingdom in which Jesus will finally conquer and reign, and a kingdom in which they, as Jesus' followers, will hold particular position. So that's, that's why they're amazed and afraid on their way to Jerusalem. They think that Jesus is coming to conquer. They think that he is coming to set up his kingdom. And so they're, they're walking toward Jerusalem thinking, Are, can you believe it's actually happening? Can you believe it's happening now? This is incredible. So I think that's why they rebuke the parents because they don't want anything slowing them down. They don't want anything to slow down the coming of the kingdom of God. But as we see, Jesus is having none of their assumptions. He sees what they're doing and it, and it grieves him. The word indignant is that he gets angry. The disciples are eager to get on with the kingdom and Jesus says, but these little ones are exactly who the kingdom is for. So he says, don't keep the children from me. In fact, the word let is send. Send them to me. To them belongs the kingdom of God. So it begs the question, why does the kingdom of God belong to children? And the answer is... <laughs> is sort of maybe shockingly simple. Apparently, according to Jesus, it's just because they need it. It's just because they need it. Need is the reason for Jesus' welcoming. And it's been the reason he's welcomed everyone thus far. Tax collectors and sinners, the sick, the dying, the demon-possessed are all invited to his table because they are in need. It's the reason that Jesus says, the well have no need of a physician. It's the sick who are in need. So this context helps us grasp what qualifies children to receive the kingdom. It's the sheer fact of their dependency. Just think about a child. We've got plenty of them in the room. You can look them right in the face if you want to, but we've got plenty of children here today. Just think about a child for a few moments. They're completely dependent on someone outside of themselves. They're completely dependent upon their parents for everything, for food, clothing, shelter, care, protection, intimacy, love, guidance, instruction. And, and what's even more interesting in the middle of that is that children don't have to do anything to get those things from their parents or those who love them. They, they only have to express their need and ask. 
Picture a baby crying or a small child saying, can, can you help me or help? It's just acknowledgement of need. And they can't do anything to pay back those who help them. All they can do is be satiated or trust that person or say thank you. Children are objectively needy, dependent, and weak. And according to Jesus, that reality makes them model subjects and ideal heirs to the kingdom of God, to, to God's rule and reign. Mark is taking a page from Matthew. He's, Mark is essentially writing a new beatitude. Blessed are children, for to them belongs the kingdom of God. Now, this has always been Jesus' mission, to bestow kingdom blessings on the weak and the helpless, on the children and the childlike. And his action demonstrates his teaching. We can look back at verse 16 again. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And Jesus has, has previously touched to heal, but now he touches to bless. In the Old Testament tradition, children were the objects of blessing on, on numerous occasions. Children were brought to their elders for blessing, and, and parents blessed their children on a number of different occasions. And in the, in the passage Paul read for us from Genesis 48, Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, his grandsons. He's near death, and it was time to pass on the blessing in the form of promises that were made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob himself. So as we remember from that scene that we just read, he blesses Joseph through his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he tells him, in some earlier verses, he tells them, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were born to you in the land of Egypt. Those sons are now mine. Bring them to me that I might bless them. And so as we read, Joseph brings them to Jacob and he embraces them, he kisses them, and he puts his hands on them and he blesses them. And it's through this act that the boys become Jacob's adopted sons. Now, could we view Jesus' blessing of the children as something like the parental blessing that Jacob gives? Maybe, maybe. The verb that Mark uses for took them in his arms, it's not a word I can pronounce in the Greek, but it implies assuming a parental role in order to rescue from death. Mark uses a word that communicates to us that Jesus is receiving these children in a particular way. He's not just simply holding them in his arms. Something is happening. In Mark 9, Jesus hugs a little child and says to its disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And the word receive has a sense of welcoming someone in order to provide them with hospitality. But since a little child, rather than an adult, is the one being hugged and received here, it suggests more than just simple hospitality. It suggests that receiving a child requires more than love and acceptance. It requires attending to their needs in a more comprehensive way, almost like adopting an orphan. So, I'm inviting you all into my own tension here. 
Jesus' hug could be seen as an adoptive embrace, as him assuming a parental role of these children and naming them as co-heirs. The fact that he touches them and blesses them could indicate that he has adopted them in order to pass on an inheritance to them before he himself dies. He's like Jacob in that way. Jesus' hug and blessing could be seen as just a remarkable display of love and affection. Though when Jesus touches people, something always happens. Something always changes. And when a blessing is given, something is always conferred upon the person being blessed. There's an imparted benefit. So, is Jesus just roaming through the masses kissing babies like a political candidate? I don't think so. On top of that, the phrase that Mark uses for Jesus' blessing is the word for intense blessing. He blesses them intensely. I wonder what's going on. Jesus says the kingdom belongs to children, that their inheritance is the kingdom, and then he takes them up in his arms and he blesses them. Could it be, I really am wondering, could it be that he's giving them their inheritance right then? They haven't done anything to earn it, but neither have we. So I don't know. Let's keep talking, let's keep reading. Let's keep praying and thinking together. We can trust that our God will light our path in that way. But moving on from this, within this question, I think is, is a question that Jesus is, is asking us and that Mark wants us to ask ourselves. We're actually kind of zooming out to a, maybe even a bigger question. How do, how do we receive children? How do you, how do you receive children? Maybe you're single or you're a single parent. How do you receive children? Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you're married with children or you're divorced and you're co-parenting. Maybe you're married and, and you have been unable to have children. How do you receive children? Alistair Roberts had this to say about children. He says, they disrupt the natural present-centeredness of our outlook. They pull us out of ourselves. They awaken us to the question of what we will leave behind when we're gone. Children serve as sources of hope, holding open the possibility of a future in which many of the hostilities, fears, and prejudices of our own age will be overcome. A closing of old chapters and a chance to start fresh. They look to us and they demand all we've got. They look to us to be loving, vulnerable, forgiving, and more responsible than we've ever been. Each time a child comes into this world, life is brighter and forever changed. So what do we think about children? How do we receive? How do we, how, how, what do we think about them? Are they a hindrance? Are they a blessing? Are they an interruption? Are they a joy? Are they in the way? Are they a gift? 
Are parents saying yes to all of that? Maybe. No comment. Um, but no, it's, but it's the question, how do we engage them? Do, we, do you talk to them? Do you welcome them? Are you generous with them, loving, hospitable? Are you interested in what they say or even what they're trying to say? Are you condescending towards them? Do you ignore them? Do, you, do they scare you? Do they make you nervous? <laughs> That's okay. Do you tell them that the kingdom of God belongs to them? Do you look them in the face and say, the kingdom of God belongs to you. It's for you. That Jesus is their king. That he's the one who loves them. Do you pray for them? Do you pray with them? Do you open the Bible with them? Do you tell them that they matter now and not just when they make something of themselves? Do you tell them that they have a role in the body of Christ that they have value? Do you bless them with words? Do you encourage them? Do you discipline them? Do you take them seriously? Sojourn, this, this is probably an uncomfortable point for me to talk about, but I, I, think it's, I think we need to talk about it. Our world doesn't receive children very well. Abortion rates are still very high. The number of births in the U.S. have been declining every year since 2008. Our local foster care system is overrun with need. Single mothers remain among the most vulnerable people in our city. Our world doesn't welcome children well. Our world favors the strong. And so Jesus calls us as the church to serve little children. It's a call from Christ to receive our own children and to receive children that are not ours and treat them as if they were. The kingdom of God is defined by the least and the weakest among us. That's incredible, isn't it? The kingdom of God is defined by the weakest and the least among us. Those are the ones we are to honor, and as we honor them, we will be honored by Christ. We don't make much of ourselves. We make much of others by giving ourselves to them, by taking up the highest calling to serve children. In particular, we, as Jesus' as Jesus's adult disciples, we can bring about a new household where the most disadvantaged among us receive the greatest love and care, where the benefits of the earthly family are multiplied beyond our imagination to little children. But it does bring up attention because in order to do this, we, we too must become like children. That's what Jesus says in verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Adults have to become childlike. But that's what Jesus demands. He not only receives children, but calls the adults to be like the children that he receives. So how do we become children? I think Matthew 18 helps us out tremendously. 
Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like, a chil- become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So to become children, we must humble ourselves like children. We must become what Jesus praised small children for. Objectively needy, dependent, weak, and trusting. As adults, all of us must acknowledge and recognize the need that we often carefully conceal behind the veil of our own respective competencies. Jesus comes to rescue the poor, and so humility puts us all in the way of rescue. Jesus comes to rescue the poor, and so humility puts all of us in the way of rescue. Children trust the words of their parents, and as disciples, we are called to repent of our own skepticism and trust the word of our Father. But how do we do this? How do we actually become like children? The the cross. Let me tell you a small story. There's a, a bridge over the Potomac River in New York City called the Arlen D. Williams Bridge. And it's named that because in, in January of 1982, there was a flight coming from Florida to New York City. And because of the weather, the wings iced over and the plane began to lose altitude. And it hit the 14th Street Bridge and went right into the river. And by the time that help arrived, it it had already been sinking. It had landed nose down, so the tail of the plane was sticking right up out of the water. And a number of people had already drowned, but some others had climbed up inside the tail. And the news crews that were there could see them through the tail because there was a huge opening in the side of the plane. And Arlen D. Williams was one whom the crews could see. He was the one who was most in view, and he seemed to be the least injured and the most alert. And so the helicopter crews circled around and lowered down the life harness to him. But each time they pulled someone out, it wasn't Arlen. They lowered it once, and he put someone else in it. They lowered it again, and he put someone else in it. A third time, and he put someone else in it. And every time he gave his place of salvation to someone else. The last time they lowered the harness, Arlen wasn't there. He died substituting himself, giving each of those people his place of deliverance. He took their death and he gave them his life. To the degree that we know that you know that Jesus Christ has done that very same thing for you, that is the only thing that can come and break our selfishness, but simultaneously clothe us in humility. The cross breaks our superiority and it gives us, at the same time, a great assurance. It makes us like children, dependent, in need, and yet trusting. It helps us see that in our sinful state, we are just as, we're in just a, 
same position, just this perilous situation as those people in the tail of the plane. We are helpless and dependent. And so if you have too high a view of yourself, you can't be dependent like a child. But if you know that you're lost without redemption and that through Christ you can be rescued, you become needy like you should be. You become like a child. But the cross also proves that you are loved and valued at your worst. Jesus proved that. He got you off the plane. So if you have too low a view of the love of Jesus, you can't trust that. But if you do, then you can become more childlike, trusting God at his word, needing his love, depending on his forgiveness and transformation. This, Sojourn, this is the way to humility. This is how we become more childlike, recognizing that we are in great need of being rescued and that by Christ and his spirit, we have been. The word was made flesh. The, the word was made an infant. Our God became a child. Our, our God toddled. Jesus isn't telling us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. He's given us everything we need to be dependent, needy, and trusting children. And by the power of his spirit, we will become a family where children are received and blessed and brought to Jesus so that he will bless them too. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for, or thank you for our King, our Savior. Lord, thank you for your spirit that appropriates all of his work, Lord, to us. What a great inheritance, Lord, you have given. And Father, we pray that you would, Lord, make us the people who receive children, receive the needy, who welcome the dependent, and who acknowledge that we are not any different than them, any different than they. God, please help us to recognize that we are in great need, but at the same time, may we recognize that you have provided everything necessary in your Son, by your Spirit, Lord, to clothe us, to take care of us, to protect us, to feed us, to guide us, to instruct us. Everything that a child would need and ask for, you respond and give to us. So Lord, make us a humble people, eager to welcome the needy. And Lord, may this household become a place where children are received and valued and the next generation, Lord, is cared for, is given a true inheritance in the kingdom of God. Help us, we pray. We ask it in your name. Amen.